Do you know the first opera ever performed at the Met? Or even the first opera performed in the new opera house at Lincoln Center? If you don't, that's all right. There are many firsts we all remember, and maybe some you haven't even heard of. Today on the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, Met Opera Firsts. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. With a history as storied as the Metropolitan Opera, there have been plenty of firsts that have occurred on its fabled stage. I'm Stuart Holt, and today Guild lecturer Naomi Baratera takes us on a guided tour of some of the noteworthy number ones throughout the company's rich history. everyone and welcome to the Metropolitan Opera Guild for our Celebrating Met Moments series or Making Met History as we dive into looking at a whole barrage of famous firsts at the Metropolitan Opera Company. And we had some pretty historic moments at the Met this past season and that's really what inspired me to dig into the different performance histories at the Met. So to start our exploration today, We are going to start with the founding of the company itself and go from there. So as many of you know, the Met was founded in 1880 as an alternative to the reigning opera company in the city at the time, which was the Academy of Music. And the new building or the new Metropolitan Opera House uh, debuted in 1883, and it was located at 39th and Broadway here in Manhattan, and it's now affectionately referred to as the Old Met because in 1966, the Metropolitan Opera Company built a brand new opera house here at Lincoln Center. The story behind the founding of the Metropolitan Opera Company in a nutshell is that the Academy of Music was basically owned and operated and funded by all of the old money families in New York City. And they really didn't like this influx of new money that was coming into the city, the industrialists, the entrepreneurs, uh, that kind of thing that were kind of flooding their social circles with all of their new money ways. And so all of these new families, think of families like the Morgans, the Roosevelts, the Vanderbilts, they really wanted to have private boxes at the Academy of Music because everyone who was anyone in New York City had private boxes at the opera. But all of the old money opera box holders were determined to shut out the families that were new money families. And so instead of sitting on the sidelines, not able to access this kind of socially elite club, for lack of a better word, all of the new money families got together and they decided to start their own opera company. And so a group of 22 men assembled at a restaurant called Del Monaco's in April of 1880. They elected all of their own officials and board 
and financiers, and they decided that they were going to build their own opera house and start their own company. And this really was a huge display of wealth and of social prominence for these families. And so the first subscribers did include people from these very powerful and what are now very iconic New York City families, the Vanderbilts, the Roosevelts, the Morgans. And all of these people were excluded from the Academy of Music. So they formed the company in 1880. They opened their new opera house in October of 1883. And the Metropolitan Opera Company was an immediate success socially and artistically. It was so successful, in fact, that it completely eclipsed the Academy of Music, and the Academy of Music's opera season folded just three years after the Metropolitan Opera Company opened. Now, the first opera ever performed at the Metropolitan Opera Company was Gounod's Faust, and that was on October 22, 1883. In a review of opening night in the New York Times, it was written, that a very great audience assembled last evening in the new Metropolitan Opera House on the occasion of its formal public opening. The lines of carriages were so long that the three entrances were unequal to the task of receiving their occupants promptly, and at 8.23 o'clock, when Signor Vianessi lifted his baton, people were still pouring in from every side. An outburst of applause greeted the Signor's appearance, whereat he halted, wheeled about, and gravely bowed at every corner of the vast auditorium before repeating his signal for the opening overture. The curtain rose on the first act of Faust at 8.30 o'clock, and Signor Campanini was warmly greeted. At this time, the opera house was well filled. The exceedingly comfortable seats in the parquet were all occupied, the rows of boxes were tenanted, the balcony was nearly filled, and the family circle was not full, but a good deal." Much disappointment was caused by the comparative failure of the acoustic properties of the auditorium. Much of the brilliancy of tone, which should have been produced by the band, was dulled, even to those spectators seated in the most desirable parts of the parquet, and in the upper rows of boxes, and in the balcony, where the high voices were distinctly heard. Nor were the facilities for seeing much better in some portions of the auditorium than the facilities for hearing. In many of the boxes, the occupants of rear seats had to stand and lean over the ladies in front of them from the sixth row of the balcony, and above the only animated thing visible to the occupants of a seat was the expanse of Signor Vianessi's cranium. So even though there were reported acoustic issues and sightline issues, it seems like the Metropolitan Opera was a hit with the public from the get-go. When I first started working at Lincoln Center, a myth that I heard kind of floating about was that for many years, Faust opened every season at the Met in the early days. So when I was prepping for this lecture, I went and dug into the archives to see just how long this legacy or this tradition lasted. And when I looked, as far as I can tell, that myth or legend is not true. In 1883, Faust was the opening night opera. In 1884, it was Tannhäuser. In 1885, it was Lohengrin. In 1886, it was Die Königin von Saba. In 1887, it was Tristan und Zolde. In 89, it was Der Fliegende Holländer. Faust came back again in 1893 and 1896, but there was also Romeo et Juliette. There were other operas from that point onward. So even though Faust is clearly an opera canon favorite, and must have been a favorite since it opened the house, it was not the opening opera every single year. 
Now, an interesting piece of technological history associated with the house is that opening night did not happen with electric lighting. The first time audiences experienced electric lighting during a performance of the Met was in 1893, again when Faust came back as an opening night opera. Another account from the New York Times said, there is scarcely a reminder of the old Metropolitan Opera House in the magnificent new building which will be opened to the public tomorrow night by Abby Schoffel and Grau with Faust for the beginning of the grand opera season. The new house is a marvel of brightness and color and grace in all its outlines. The severe decorations of the auditorium, which was destroyed by the big fire, have given place to brighter ornamentation, and while the seating capacity of the house has been materially increased, the comfort of its patrons has been steadily kept in view in the arrangement of the changes. So what they were referring to in this article was a fire that happened in 1892 in the Met Auditorium. And because of that, they had to do extensive renovations in the auditorium and to the opera house, which led to the installation of electric lighting. Because if you're overhauling everything in a renovation, why not add the latest and greatest technology? Now, those of you who are Met Opera fans may have read the book Molto Agitato, The Mayhem Behind the Music at the Metropolitan Opera. It's by Joanna Fiedler. And there are so many great anecdotes and tidbits and facts that you can find in this book. I read it in preparation for today's lecture. And even though I can't bring in everything that I learned from this book, there were a few fun facts that I thought would be good to share. So... Who was the first general manager's wife to sing a leading role? This is one that I probably could not have guessed, but it was Frances Alda singing Desdemona in Verdi's Otello in 1909. Frances Alda was a New Zealand-born, Australian-raised operatic soprano. She achieved fame in the first three decades of the 20th century, and she did share the stage here at the Metropolitan Opera with Enrico Caruso. And in 1908, Giulio Gatti Casazza became the director of the Metropolitan Opera. He was at La Scala. He came over to the Met. And in 1908, he, in December of 1908, he met Alda when she made her debut there. On April 4, 1910, Alda and Gatti Casazza were married. She sung Desdemona in Otello two days later, on April 6, 1910. It was not her Met debut, nor was it a role debut. She had sung it at the Met before, but it was a role that she would become incredibly famous for. So to give us a little taste of Frances Alda's voice, here she is singing the Willow Song from Otello. This is a recording from January 25th, 1910. It's not a live performance at the Met, but it's during that period that she was actively singing here.
Now, the first person of color to ever perform on the Met stage was actually not an opera singer. It was a ballerina. Janet Collins was the prima ballerina and made her Met debut in Verdi's Aida on November 13, 1951. She holds the record as the first non-white prima ballerina at the Metropolitan Opera and the first person of color to perform on the Met stage. Who was the first person of color to sing in a Met-related event? Any guesses? I was very careful about how I worded this. It's a bit of a trick question because it's a Met-related event, not necessarily on the Met stage. And that honor goes to Robert McFerrin because he won the Metropolitan Opera's auditions on the air in 1953. During this time period, it was usual practice for the winner of the auditions on the air to receive six months training and a contract to sing at the Met. After McFerrin won, he received 13 months training but did not receive a contract. And at that point in time, no person of color had ever sung on the stage at the Met. In 1950, Rudolf Bing took over the Met and he became determined to integrate singers of color onto the stage. Marian Anderson made history during Bing's tenure as the first African-American to sing on stage at the Met, and McFerrin followed with his Met debut in the same month, January 27, 1955. So McFerrin became the first singer of color to sing in a Met-related event, and Marian Anderson was the first African-American in history to sing on the Metropolitan Opera stage, and the first woman of color to sing at the Met. In 1956, McFerrin made one more record, becoming the first African-American in history to sing a title role at the Met, singing Rigoletto. So we're going to hear a little bit of both of these singers. We're going to start with Marian Anderson. This is Marian Anderson singing in Verdi's Un Ballo in Mascara. This is the role of Ulrika. And this is a recording from December 10th, 1955 from the Metropolitan Opera House. And this was broadcast and you can find it on the Metropolitan Opera On Demand or Met Player, which is like the Netflix of Met Opera recordings and HD broadcasts. So it's a treasure trove of recordings. So we're going to first listen to Marian Anderson, then we're going to listen to a little bit of Robert McFerrin. So here she is singing from Verdi's Un Ballo in Mascara. Precipitate l'altra 
And seeing as Robert McFerrin was the first singer of color to sing a leading role or a title role on the Met stage, we're going to listen to Pari Siamo from Verdi's Rigoletto, and this was recorded in 1956. Siamo io la lingua e io il pugnale. Now 
Now this past season, there was an article that came out in Opera Wire that said that one of the casts for La Boheme this season was making Met history in that it was the first time that two singers of color were cast as Mimi and Rodolfo in Puccini's La Boheme. When I started looking into this because I thought well, that's a really interesting fact and a really interesting piece of history, I wonder when we've come close to this or if anyone disputed this fact when it came out. And it turned out that an article or a response to the article in Opera Wire on a blog called Parterre Box suggested that this is actually not the case, that this season is not the first time, this past season is not the first time this had happened, that it had actually happened before, citing a performance by Roberta Alexander and Vincent Cole. So I looked into this and According to the archives, on April 18, 1987, Roberta Alexander and Vincent Cole did sing Mimi and Rodolfo together on the Met stage. It was a single performance of Bohème, and there is sadly no audio or video footage of that particular performance. But Roberta Alexander sang several roles at the Met, and I did find a really fantastic video broadcast of her in the Tales of Hoffman singing Antonia. So just to hear a little bit of that beautiful voice, this is her singing a little bit of Antonia opposite Neil Shikhoff, who was her Hoffman. Rodolfo were sung together on the Met stage by two singers of color was Roberta Alexander and Vincent Cole in 1987. The second time this happened in the last 30 years was indeed last season and that was with Angel Blue and Russell Thomas. So we're going to listen to a little clip of the two of them from one of their performances. They only sang together or opposite each other a handful of times this past season. They sang on October 19th, 23rd, and 27th, and I believe once in November. This is 2017. And so we're going to listen to a little bit of them singing O Soave Fanchula, which is the Act 1 love duet at the very end of Act 1 of La Boheme. It's one of my favorite moments in La Boheme, 
And this is from November 2017. Angel Blue singing Mimi and Russell Thomas singing Rodolfo. to conduct an opening night at the Met was, any guesses? Maestro Thomas Shippers conducting Verdi's Nabucco in 1960. There's a lot of drama surrounding this particular famous first. You can read all about it in Molto Agitato. And this famous first also came a few years after another very momentous occasion, which was the debut performance at the Met of none other than Maria Callas. She sang for the first time at the Met in October of 1956, and she sang in Norma. Now, you can also read a lot about the life and times of Maria Callas. Something I found really interesting, just a little factoid to share, was even though she had one of the most amazing careers of any opera singer in history, she actually only sang at the Met 22 times. So not nearly as much as I thought before I really dug into this, but she really did make a mark in those 22 performances at the Met. And I've heard people talk about seeing her at the Met performing and just how amazing she was. It's an, an experience I never got to have, but it's one that I can tell just by listening must have been amazing and mind-blowing. So to just give us all a little taste of La Divina, which was her nickname, Maria Callas, this is a little bit of Casta Diva, which is the big aria at the beginning of Norma that she is extremely famous for her recordings and interpretations of. This particular recording is from the Rye Orchestra of Rome in 1957.
All right, now the first and only opera singer, we're going to lighten the mood a little bit, to be arrested in the Central Park Zoo was indeed Enrico Caruso. He was arrested outside the monkey house in 1906, and it was a week before the Mets opening night. He was fined $10 for insulting a woman in the monkey house. From what I can tell, he made some kind of inappropriate comment. And although you might think that this news coverage, because there was news coverage about this at the time, would have been enough to get him kicked off the roster on opening night, it actually wasn't the monkey house incident that prevented him from singing in the opening night performance that season. But before we tell you that story, I did want to share with you a little bit of a recording that I found. This is a recording of Caruso singing Que Galida Manina. This is the only time that he recorded it. It's not a live performance at the Opera House, but the date of the recording is February 11th, 1906, which means that this lands right in between a performance at the Met of Marta on February 9th, 1906, and La Traviata on February 12th, 1906. And then it also lands between two performances of Bohème that he did on February 3rd and February 22nd, 1906. So in a way, even though this is not a live performance, this is a little bit of a snapshot of his singing voice at this particular time and the best historic record we have from this moment of him. So here he is singing a little bit of Puccini for us.
So yes, this does appear to be the only recording of this aria, Que Galida Manina, that Caruso ever did. And for those of you who have perfect pitch, if you're wondering why it sounds a little bit off, this recording is indeed transposed down a semitone from what's in the written score. Caruso at this time was not super comfortable with the high notes, so they decided to give him a little bit of edge since it was just a recording of this one aria. He didn't need to fit it into a larger orchestral whole. So that season, the season of the Monkey House incident, 1906 to 1907, was actually the only season in Caruso's Met tenure that he did not sing opening night, and that is because Geraldine Farrar had been contracted to sing opening night, and she demanded that she be the only star in the cast of opening night. This was her Met debut. She sang Juliette in Gounod's Romeo et Juliette, opposite a French tenor, Charles Rousselier, as her Romeo. She was an American soprano, opera singer, and film actress. She was known for being incredibly beautiful. She had wonderful acting ability and apparently had a very intimate timbre to her voice. She had a large following of young women who were nicknamed Jerry Flappers because they were so taken with her. This is true diva worship and pop star status. She was born in Massachusetts, the daughter of a baseball player, and she began studying music in Boston before moving to New York City. She also sang in Paris, and she really did reach superstar status. And she went on to sing other roles, not just uh, French roles or not just Romeo and Juliet. She also sang in the first performance at the Met of Puccini's Madama Butterfly. That was in 1907. And... She remained a member of the company until her retirement in 1922. She sang 29 different roles across 672 performances. Ferrar also created the title role of Puccini's Angelica, Umberto Giordano's Madame Saint-Jean, and this particular one I find incredibly amusing. She was the goose girl in Engelbert Humperdinck's Königskinder, this was in 1910. This is an opera we don't see performed very often here at the Met anymore, but we do see Humperdinck's Hansel and Gretel performed quite often. And Farrar can definitely hold the record, the, the oddball record of being the first and probably the only singer at the Met to train her own flock of geese in order to perform with them on stage. So the role of the goose girl in Königskinder needs to have a flock of geese that follow her around and Farrar put a lot of work into training this flock of geese so that they could follow her around successfully on stage. And a review in the New York Tribune mentioned this particular aspect of the performance saying, at the close of the opera, Miss Farrar caused much amusement by appearing before the curtain with a live goose under her arm. So just returning to how we started on this story of Geraldine Farrar, she didn't want to star tenor singing with her when she made her Met debut on that opening night. So Caruso did not sing in that opening night performance, but he did sing later that season, uh, singing Rodolfo in La Boheme next to Marcella Zembrich as Mimi. So the Monkey House incident didn't uh, affect his performance trajectory all that much. 
Caruso and Farrar would eventually share the stage together, but not until a little bit later in February of 1906 in Madama Butterfly. It was the first time Butterfly had been performed at the Met and Puccini himself was in the audience. So she sang Chocho-san or Butterfly and Caruso sang Pinkerton. Does anybody know what the first Puccini world premiere was at the Met? That's right, it is La Fanchula del West, and that was in 1910. Following the world premiere of La Fanchula del West, the second Puccini world premiere at the Met is actually an opera that's coming up this season. It was Il Tritico, and that took place on December 14th, 1918. Switching gears a little bit, many of us have greatly enjoyed living in the era of the live in HD broadcasts from the Met. So if we go back in history a little bit of our recent history, does anyone know what the first Met performance was to be broadcast live in HD? No, it was not Madame Butterfly. It was not La Boheme. It was a condensed English language version of Mozart's The Magic Flute. And that happened on December 30th, 2006, the first ever Metropolitan Opera live in HD broadcast. And so this also means that technically speaking, Matthew Polanzani was the first singer to be broadcast in a Met live in HD transmission, the first singer to be singing in a broadcast in a live in HD transmission because he sang the role of Tamino in this broadcast and Tamino is the first singer to come on stage. So he gets that particular honor. Music is the heart the birds are sing the peace Dear Pamina, dear Pamina is not here. My Pamina is still lost. Pamina, Pamina, answer me, answer me. Not there, not there. Where, there, here, for she is nowhere near me now. Ah, that is Papagino's sound. Perhaps it means Pamina's found. Perhaps Pamina's by his side. Perhaps, perhaps the flute will be my guide. The flute will be my guide. The flute will be the flute will be my guide. Now, a few seasons ago, we had a big Met milestone when Caesaria Hose L'Amour de Loin was the first opera 
composed by a woman to be performed at the Met in over 100 years. So the question is, what was the first opera on a Met season composed by a woman? And who was that woman? The answer is Der Walt, which was composed by Dame Ethel Smythe and was performed at the Met on March 11, 1903. It only received two performances, March 11th and March 20th of that year, and has actually never been seen on the Met stage again since that point in time. Now, I looked high and low and I could not find a recording of Der Walt to share with you, but I wanted to give us a little bit of a sense of Dame Ethel Smythe's style since it was very well received when it had its Met performances here. And so I'm going to play for you a little bit of another opera that she wrote called The Wreckers. And this particular performance features a young up-and-coming singer named Sky Ingram and She's singing the role of Avis in the records, and this is from the Bard Summerscape in 2015. I can tell you of a maiden, husband and wife duo to sing Tosca and Cavaradossi together on the Met stage. I knew someone would guess Angelo Giorgio and Roberto Alagna, and even though they did sing Tosca and Cavaradossi together in a very famous television or made-for-DVD or made-for-video production of Tosca, which you might know or have seen, they actually never sang that particular opera together on the Met stage. They sang it other places, but not at the Met. Now, those of us who are up on the opera gossip know that Roberto Alagna and Angela Giorgio are no longer husband and wife. So Roberto Alagna's current wife, Alexandra Kortzak, he did share the Met stage with her, but not in a production of Tosca. This was very recent. He sang in Pagliacci with her, and they were married at the time of the performance. He sang Canio and she sang Neda. However, this is really not a happy story since Neda is actually in love with Silvio, and Canio ends up killing her moments before the end of the opera. So, not the happiest roles to be singing as a married husband and wife in real life. Maybe you guess Nikolai Gerov and Mirella Franey. They're another very famous married couple, but Gerov is a bass, so he would not have been cast as Kavaradosi. And so they actually sang together on the Met stage in Faust in 1966. 
but that was before they were married and they shared the stage together as a married couple in real life uh, in Don Carlo in 1983. So I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe that this season we made history at the Met with this particular record because our beloved Anna Netrebko and her husband Yusuf Ivazov shared the stage together she singing Tosca, he singing Kabaradosi on April 21st, 2018, so extremely recently. And I believe they are the first husband and wife duo to sing those roles together at the Met. She also documented it quite a bit on her Instagram feed, which was very adorable to see. So we don't have a long recorded excerpt of them singing together. I couldn't get my hands on one, but I did get a little snippet of them singing together. So here is Anna Netrebko and Yusuf Ivazov singing an excerpt from Tosca at the Met in 2018. And that will kind of bring our whirlwind tour of famous firsts to a close. That was Naomi Baratera exploring the first that made Met history. Did you know that you could listen to our back catalog of over 100 podcast episodes? Go there to learn more about composers, operas, and other Met opera milestones. For even more real-time updates on firsts, seconds, and thirds, follow us on all our Metropolitan Opera Guild social media platforms and stay in the loop all year long. I'm Stuart Holt. Thank you so much for listening.